Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Aquademia Podcast. I'm Sean O'Loughlin. I'm Justin Grant. And today we are speaking with Shannon Cosentino Rausch from Finless Foods. We have a really super interesting conversation about plant-based tuna and cell-based tuna. I know this is something that a lot of people are, are interested in, and um, I think you're really going to enjoy this episode, and you're going to get a lot out of it. But before we get into it, I want to remind everybody to please subscribe to Aquademia wherever you listen, so every new episode that comes out will be automatically downloaded onto your device. Follow us on Twitter, at AquademiaPod, if you want to contact the podcast for any reason, sponsorship, topic ideas, you want to be a guest, whatever the reason, fill out our online form located at globalseafood.org slash podcast. That's right. And remember to leave us a rating and review wherever you listen. Enjoy this conversation that we had with Shannon. We will talk to you at the end. Welcome to the Aquademia podcast. Our diet is hurting the environment in myriad ways. I mean, we desperately need to eat more seafood. This is a pioneering industry with a whole lot of people who have really good ideas and a lot of experience and are unafraid. Aquademia is your go-to podcast for a fresh take on all things seafood. So we are sitting down today with Shannon Cosentino Rush from we are sitting down today with Shannon Cosentino Rausch from Finless Foods. How's it going today, Shannon? Thanks for joining us. It's going great. Thank you so much for having me. Happy Friday. Thank you. I, I almost got through it. You um, were really close. Thanks. I, I try really hard. So this is a really interesting episode today because we are do it's one of our seafood innovation episodes, but it's more of a foods episode. Connected with seafood, but not deliberately about seafood. Uh, in the way that it usually is. <laughs> so you'll see what I mean when, uh, once we get into it. But Shannon, before we talk about the products that you guys have at Finless Foods, I want to talk about you so our listeners know who you are and who they're hearing from. Can you give us a little bit of your background, who you are, and kind of how you got to where you are now? Yeah, thanks, Sean. I always like to kind of start with this, just give someone a little framing, right? Um, so I'm Shannon. I'm the Chief Strategy Officer at Finless. But where? how did I get here? Um, I grew up in the Bay Area uh, near the coast. And I like to say that because I kind of grew up with this ocean um, ethic and this passion for ocean sustainability. And that really stuck with me. So kind of from a child through to when you're deciding, like, what am I actually going to study in college? And what am I going to do for a job? Um, and for me, I decided that that was ocean law, which I always I always laugh because sometimes folks ask me, that's a real thing. <laughs> uh, and it, it is for us lucky few. So I actually studied um, law at Vermont Law School, and I particularly was lucky because that school focused on environmental law. So I was able to take courses on like international law of the sea and like coastal sustainability and things like that. Um, and that thread continued with me throughout my career, which I was pretty lucky to say as well. I started my career at NOAA. I was, if this is an ocean crew, then folks may know, but I was a Canal Sea Grant fellow, like many of us. Um, I also was really lucky to be able to work at the UN Food and Agriculture Organization in Rome and um, do international consulting work in Africa with the Western Indian Ocean and the tuna management programs there. Um, I ultimately got back to the US and worked at the nonprofit space level. And um, again, working in fisheries, so you can kind of see this fisheries thread throughout. But luckily, um, in the U.S. side, I was able to work directly with fishermen on things like fishery, fisheries improvement programs and things like that. Um, and when I moved back to the Bay, I was really excited about innovation in general, just what's the intersect between innovation and sustainability. And I 
stumbled upon as life sometimes happens, right? Like that, you know, right place, right time, or some say it's the universe. And I met the team at Finless Foods and there was this intersect between my passion for even specifically bluefin tuna and the fact that I'd worked a lot and done a lot of research on bluefin tuna and also this intersect between my background in policy and regulatory and understanding interagency and how that dynamic works and also just understanding the sustainable seafood movement, having worked with fishermen directly, but also having worked with the nonprofit community and all of those things sandwiched together kind of was a need that Finless was, was seeking to fill. And so I moved over from being a director of policy at a nonprofit, an ocean nonprofit to Finless about three years ago now. And it has been an absolute wild ride, but I'm, I'm uh, very excited every day to do it. That's awesome. So let's talk about Finless Foods. What, what is the origin of Finless Foods? You just, you just mentioned it a little bit, but can you kind of give us a rundown of why it was founded and kind of what its mission is? And then we'll get into some of the products themselves and we'll just see where this conversation goes. Cause I'm sure, especially for Maddie and Justin, who d- they didn't get to have the kind of exclusive conversation that I got to have with you a few days ago. So um, I'm sure they're going to have some pretty interesting questions that come up. Yeah, it's always fun to talk about Finless. Um, it's really timely because it's actually this this month was Finless's sixth birthday. So we had a sixth birthday party for ourselves. Happy birthday. Um, so, so that's when we were founded. Um, we were founded as a cell cultured seafood company. I will get into that later what that means. Um, around three years ago, we, we, like we broadened our perspective. And so now we often call Finless an alternative seafood company because we're working to both produce plant-based seafood, but also cell cultured seafood. So doing both and, and really looking at plant-based as a step to accelerate the commercialization of cell cultured. Your question, I, I always think is really important. So I'm glad you asked is like, what is our mission? Our mission is really broad. It's to create a future for seafood where the ocean thrives. And so we, if you can, if you can sense that's like product agnostic, it doesn't mention plant or cell. And it's because we look at this broader portfolio of what seafood is going to mean for the future to make sure that we also can have the seafood industries that we have that, you know, provide a lot of nutrition and feed people and um, provide livelihoods, but also an industry that ensures that the ocean is thriving, especially just given we are right now and the amount of news coming out of the state of the planet. So that's the mission that we work towards every day. It describes why I'm never bored. Um, and and in the in the short term, it means really working on scaling our plant-based tuna that we launched almost a year ago at the end of May and really, really working hard to um, seek regulatory approval and uh, figure out pilot scale production and really just iterate on those prototypes to bring salt cultured seafood to the market as soon as we get approval. Super cool. So when you say plant-based tuna, what does that mean? What, what plant is it based from? Totally. This is fun too, because you just grow tuna trees. Didn't you know that? No, (laughs) actually uh, that would be very cool though. That could be an imagine (laughs) The visuals are great. It's, it's, it's fun because, so our product is nine whole simple ingredients. So all things you can pronounce and the, the list is not that long. The main ingredient that, so the first in the list is winter melon. And it's actually a fruit, which I learned because I kept calling it a vegetable. And it is generally known more in Asian cuisine. So if you chat with the average American, they, they don't usually know what winter melon is. But if you talk to folks who 
more like embrace or have been rooted in culturally in Asian cuisines, they immediately know what winter melon is also because it's kind of seen as a superfood in that, in, in that cuisine base. And so we were just doing a lot of research generally on plant materials also for our cell cultured, just understanding scaffolding and textures, et cetera. And we kind of were playing around and realized like, wow, this may not work very well for cell cultured, but actually we have what could be a pretty cool plant-based product. And at the time there was really a white space and, um, and folks were looking for plant-based seafood options and not just like the pouch tuna that you can kind of shelf stable, but ours is really more of a raw pokey style. So you can kind of make the, t- the typical poke bowl or um, make a spicy tuna roll, et cetera. And so we're not growing tunas on trees, but I think that we are doing some pretty cool things to, to take a winter melon in really simple steps that like dehydration, um, like boiling on the stove to infuse with, with flavoring to bring this product to market. How hard is it to gain access to winter melon? You know, we, I was surprised that it's harder than you might think. <laughs> well, I didn't know what it was. So I was just, because yeah. of that, I assumed it, it was challenging. It looks like it's like a, a type of gourd almost. There, there is what there, it is not hard in that there's winter melon grown, mm-hmm. but it is something that we work a lot in our broader industry. I'm not just all, not just plant-based seafood, but alternative foods to say, how can we build more supply chains for these new ingredients that are coming yeah. about for all these, all like going back to your saying about beyond seafood, just alt foods. How do we build more of these supply chains in the U S at scale? Because that scale piece is the important piece. It means you can get enough of it, not just in super specific seasonalities, but also that the price points can be comparable to what people would expect to see so that your cost of goods is not so high. Yep. So um, it's not, it, we find winter melon. Um, I definitely think though, we use that as a talking point to say, this is just the beginning of how we can scale up additional um, supply chains for, for new ingredients in the U.S. Interesting. I'm, I'm so... You you just gave us like a, a little bit of a tease of like the process, and I know that you are not yeah, the one. Yeah, no, that, please. There's I know no that you're this not conversation's going to go all over the place. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I let's can play see about it now, coffee. I know. I'm just <laughs> well, the texturing <laughs> piece, right? Go ahead, Sean. Because I'm just saying, I'm, I'm just super curious in, in the actual process of how this is made, and I am really interested to see like its likeness to tuna. Like how how close is it to like a pokey style tuna? But before before we get that, that, I really want to know how how you achieve this. And before, as you're talking about that question or answering don't, that question, don't steal my questions. Uh, no, I just, I really think this will tie in uh, because you didn't have a, a necessary a background or knew mm-hmm. this process. So, what was your first impression as you learned and saw just the expansion that you've seen probably in what you said six years? Well, you've been there for how many years again? Three. Three. Yeah. So, just, I'm curious about your personal experience and how you digested all of this stuff pun and in, not yeah. intended yeah always intend uh, your puns justin i just love that you guys are so just like wow about the plant-based process i'm like we haven't even talked about cell yet oh, <laughs> no, the pla- no it's great it's really <laughs> cool these are all great questions so i think the first like you just did the, the broader like macro myself moving to the process. I mean, you're right. Like I definitely joke that I say to folks, like I would, I didn't know that much about like food law Mm -hmm. or, you know, like I knew of the FDA in general regulatory, but I, I would have, I would not said like, oh yeah, food scientist, that's me. Like I'm an expert. Um, I've learned quite a lot. And 
why did so what was my perspective when I when I jumped in a few years ago? I would say it's, I'm really excited about innovation because of the potential, you know, we've seen the potential of innovation, good and sometimes bad for, for doing huge systems change in society. And I feel like it was exciting to see what the potential of this could be for food and sustainability and our interaction with food. So I was pretty open-minded. I was more like in a learning, like learner's mind, if you will, right? Like chat to a food scientist will tell me about how do you go about exploring texture, Right. Um, the, the, the process is pretty easy for me to understand for our plant-based because we, we really were focusing on a, like minimally processed, et cetera. So it's literally as simple as winter melon is cut into smaller pieces, IQF'd, we dehydrate, we stew it to infuse it with the, the flavoring mostly, tamari, soy, you know, et cetera. And, so you de- um, dehydrate it and then rehydrate it? Mm-hmm, to get it? rid of the, not, not the, the stewing is, is I'm sure it rehydrates some, but it's also largely for flavor infusion. Okay. The dehydration is because obviously you want to get some of that water out to, to try and match a texture that would more, like wouldn't be so crunchy. That would more mm-hmm. equate to like the, the bite of um, what you'd expect from a poke. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we HPP obviously first for shelf life. And that's really, that's really it. Um, now the cell process is a lot more complicated, but, uh, d- but still understandable. Um, on to answer your question, I think it was your Sean of like, or maybe it was just, I don't know, you guys asked one question together, but <laughs> one long um, one. about what is the likeness to tune out? We're really honest and transparent. We believe in that a lot in, in terms of folks knowing about their food. It is in our product. I'm not going to speak for all alt seafood because what I'm learning in this space is that consumer wants and um, priorities are very different depending on who you're talking to. And um, and so the products, because of that, match that consumer segmentation. So our product is not nutritionally one-to-one. And we know that. We share it. We talk about it. We don't hide that. Um, we get that the flavor really does remind people like this. Wow. We sometimes have people tell us like, this is tuna. You're lying to me. And we're like, we are absolutely not plant-based 100%. It's a vegan product if you were to be inclined that way. Um, we will say that the texture is the hardest thing. And so the one, so this is one reason we have this plant to sell narrative and that, um, we do believe it is really hard to match the larger piece of muscle texture with plants. So easier, think about it. It's easier to do for smaller pieces, like ground for spicy tuna roll, easier pokey style, a little harder, but still easier than a, a tuna steak. Right. And so that's where we believe the promise of cell is. And really just, you know, nailing a lot of the nutritionals and the, um, the texture and et cetera of, of conventional seafood. The one thing I will say on, on plant-based is it runs the gamut, right? Um, and so I think it really, I try, I think there's a, a general tendency to talk about the industry in broad swaths. Like it's all kind of the same approach, but companies are taking wildly different av- approaches in terms of food innovation and technology. And even this is our first plant-based product. We have a pipeline of additional that we're working on to roll out. And we are like, well, we may or may not even use the same process. We may not do this whole fruit dehydrate. We we may be like, nope, we're going to be, you know, like, let's talk about extrusion, right? Like, and so there's a lot of technology. And I was at this food tech show and they were saying like, some of the technology we're using has been around for so long, but the amount of new innovation and technology that we're going to be using for food production is just beginning. So it's, it's fun, it's fun space to watch. 
Justin, you look like you had something. Yeah, yeah but you also did too. That's no, go ahead. Go ahead. I do um, enough talking on you. Again, usually we try to have some sort of seamless conversation, but I just, I have to jump around. So that's what I'm going to do for this episode. I apologize in advance. No, I'm, I'm, I, fl- I love to flex. So let's do it. This is a party. All right. So next phase oh, no, two of the party. Set yeah, loose. Yeah. Oh. It's Friday. No, we might as well have some fun. That's true. Yeah. Oh, just for our listeners. It is a Friday episode and uh, there's no rules on for Friday episodes. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, maybe this, this was probably going to come come up anyways but what is the general like consumer perception how are sales marketing do you find it a struggle because it's relatively for a lot of people it could be this new idea even though it's been around for a while like have you seen any hesitations or any struggles when it comes to trying to market the product well you meant yeah, you so- mentioned that there was a demand for plant-based seafoods. That, I'm curious a, about a that out too. West demand too. Like, is that mostly for like the West coast or is that generally speaking? Uh, anyways? Yeah. I'll let you go. Run yeah, with yeah. That. I always forget people can't see my face. I'm like using, I'm like nodding or, um, no, this is a good question. I was just at South by Southwest, um, yep. in whenever weeks those that was, was it not, it was not a month ago, but it felt like <laughs> it. Um, and we actually had our first food truck activation, which was quite fun. Oh, and wow. we served 5,000 samples, I think, in two, two and a half days. And oh you guys can gosh. check out our, our social just to see like reaction videos. Uh-huh. And like these were in stage. We were more just like, hey, you're having a great reaction. Do you mind if we we film it? And if if you're not comfortable, totally fine. But some were like, put me on camera. Um, so <laughs> I'm sure at South always, by Southwest, a lot of people wanted to be on camera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me on yeah. Camera. Um, so I guess my point is it's, I'm always in a learning too. Like I go to South by to understand like consumers, meet them where they are to go to your question of like, is it only West coast? No. In fact, our first distributor was GFS Gordon food service. Mm -hmm. Um, we're, we're launching into food service and they're actually more heavily based in, um, the Midwest and and the East coast, not so much in the West coast. Uh, so no, I, I wouldn't say it's just a West coast thing. In terms of the the demand, oh, there's so many articles about this right now. But generally, there's there's the reason I say generally is because there's so many facts and figures, and it's just like looking at it from an overarching viewpoint. There's there is still demand for plant based products. Now, it's not saying everyone is going to eat them. I'm not saying everyone is a vegetarian or everyone's a vegan. There's a lot of this like flexitarian, climatarian various different motivators. Like I was told to eat more plant-based for my health and I want to incorporate a bit more, or like, I just don't, you know, I just, for how it makes me feel like to eat more, you know, et cetera, et cetera. There's so many different, like, you know, it's such a personal choice, but the, th- the thing is that um, what we're seeing is food service operators are interested in menuing plant-based alternatives because they, but they see that there's a percentage of their, their customer base that either demands it or has circles of friends. Like it's the, it's called the veto vote, right? That we're going to go X, Y, Z to dinner. And you have the one friend who's like, Oh, I don't know. There's nothing for me to eat there. Can we go somewhere else? And so food service operators are trying to make sure that they have an option that tailors to, to the, you know, the group. Um, I think what I've seen more is that the, the conversation about what an operator brings on or doesn't is much more around the why they decide to procure anything price point, shelf life, um, distribution. Do you, are, are you already distributed with the distributor that they use? Cause they're not going to bring on a new distributor for one product. Do they feel like 
they like the product and they've worked within their culinary center and their chefs are like, we're comfortable with this. And we know we could use this across five recipes because we're not going to have one ingredient for one recipe. It's much more of those, those like decision points that we hear in their decision to bring on a plant-based seafood product. Not so much. We don't believe in the category. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Do you guys have anything else about plant-based before we move into cell culture? No. And I, my question actually was, more geared towards cell culture than yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Anyways, well, let's get into it. Let's migrate. Yeah, yeah. because I, I mentioned this to Shannon um, a couple of days ago when we spoke on the phone that this you know this is a topic that can be a little bit touchy for some people uh, in different industries and stuff. So this is going to be really fascinating and really interesting to learn about this. And I'm really excited to kind of hear all of the different facets of this because it's something that I knew was going on was cell cultured proteins. But I don't know too much about it. So I'm really excited to learn about this. And I think the cell cultured tuna is a really great example of this. And you have an awesome little infographic on your website that just breaks it down mm. into such basic step-by-step -step process. But Shannon, talk about the cell cultured tuna product wherever you want to start. I'm just really yeah, interested well, to just learn. Let's start with like defining cell cultured, right? Because I'm sure everyone's like, you keep referencing it. What in all, like, what actually is that? Mm. Um, what does it even mean? So cell cultured is often the, the descriptor used to describe this growing field called cellular agriculture. Now, just to like level set, cellular agriculture applies across seafood, right? There's companies working in, in beef and chicken and quail and exotic meats and you name it. There's actually companies that have been found in the last years to do that. Cellular agriculture refers to the process of basically producing animal protein without the need for continual harvest. So essentially you would take a sample of cells from an animal. The process very much varies in how you do that depending on the animal, right? So there's not even like a, I could tell you it's done this exact way because it really depends company by company and, and even animal by animal. Those cells are grown out in a production facility that I often describe it as like a microbrewery or a place that you look to make treat cheese with, you know, large steel drums that you kind of would see in a microbrewery that we call bioreactors. You grow out or we say proliferate the cells in those in, the, in those machines, you basically feed them the building blocks of what we, like any cell needs to be happy, right? Salts, sugars, amino acids, and they grow out, proliferate in these bioreactors. You harvest them, you know, basically like you would harvest uh, anything from, from kind of a piece of equipment like that. And you then can grow the cells out in like a, alongside a scaffolding, if you will. I'm trying to always describe scaffolding because I always think like a building. It's kind of like a structure that the cells will then grow around inside, depending on this, the scaffolding and how it's used. It can grow around. It can be even growing throughout if it's a matrix scaffold. And then that ends up producing the piece of et cetera that you're trying to aim for. So for example, if it's a steak or if it's a sashimi piece or if it's a meatball, then that process differs a bit. If you're saying a meatball, you then create like what you would for the, the ground piece and you would add all the other ingredients. And that becomes like traditional food processing, like the final steps, unless you're producing something like, you know, a steak. Now it's really, really fascinating because that's like V V 1.0 of like basic scientific description, but this field is also rapidly advancing in those tech in each of those techniques. How do you up the densities of cells so that you can hit more rapid scale? How do you 
reduce the the scaffolding to a place where even in the future there's a vision of you know no scaffolding is needed and the cells produce their own extracellular matrix like cells do in an actual wild animal um and so i i would i always like to say that in some ways it's like the cell phone or the the solar panel in that you know there's going to be rapid iteration in this industry as well where you have your first your first cell phone where you're like throwback you're like first smartphone and if you now watch a movie that shows the first smartphone you can't even believe that we once used those uh and then we have the, the versions today that are more powerful than the first computers right yep. and so that's just to say that where we are in this industry is the same like it's wrap every year we we are rapidly advancing in what we're able to do so are you like in the flip phone era right now or <laughs> sorry i just tried to do a joke there but no, but I mean, I'm actually thinking about it. No, like, which part of the era are we in? I mean, as you can see, actually, I don't know. I thought this, that was unfair because it depends if you're in the industry. You know, you talk to folks, you always think that they're like on the pulse. These are regulated products. So basically you're going through an FDA review or depending yeah. like in Singapore, it's the SFA. And it's to basically demonstrate that the products are safe, which our industry yeah. fully supports because we want there to be consumer adoption and we want folks to know that these processes are safe. And so yeah. we've been leaning in doing all the hard work, working the agencies have been very collaborative in the sense that they're, they're obviously still holding us to rigorous standards, but they're helping us understand the process of what we need to do to get them to feel like these products are, are demonstrably safe. Now, the reason I say I'm describing that a bit more is because there have been two approvals in the United States in the last six months, one of which was like this week, and both were for cell cultured chicken but it's pretty exciting because there had been a prior approval in Singapore, but the the country that everyone's looking to as the leader and like, wh- when's there going to be an approval and what's the approval going to look like? And is the U.S. going to approve? That has been answered. And so there's been an unlocking of a lot of excitement because we've demonstrated that you can demonstrate these products are safe. The U.S. FDA has said, yes, we agree with you. And now those two are poultry, so they're waiting for the USDA. but as soon as they get the USDA go ahead, they can sell cell cultured products in the US. So I think, I don't know that we're in flip phone because now you can sell it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe we're at the beginning but of the, I, the, the, the smartphone. I think all of us are in the age that we saw the rapid advancement of technology. So mm-hmm. I think, and a lot of our listeners as well. So to use like the cell phone analogy, right? From even when you had that giant car phone, right? Then all of a sudden it became mm-hmm. handheld and it was so tiny, then the features slowly developed. And now to your point of handheld devices, like cell phones are more powerful than those giant computers we used to have in our living room. So, Well, and how bizarre we thought they were at first, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, point. What, what do you mean we're going to carry around our phone and use it to tell us directions to the point where we no longer know how to actually Yeah, I was. So you said you graduated in 2009. And I graduated From law school. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I was in college. I graduated 2010 and, um, I, it was 2008. I believe that the first iPhone was released. And I remember having my buddy who was like crazy tech guy who knew, who knew all about the new stuff coming out. And he was over the moon excited about this. And I just didn't get it. And <laughs> thinking back to that time, it's like, oh yeah, every time we went anywhere, like we had a camera in our pocket, like we had a digital camera. Oh yeah. And we totally. had, and like, that was cool enough Remember that we were able to carry around carry a little a digital camera that fit in our pocket. And like, that was like, but then you had to go home and you had to plug it into your computer or take the card out and put it in if you wanted yeah, to like yeah, yeah. post it on like, you know, the first Facebook pages where you needed your college email address. It's just like, 
And now totally. it would be weird to walk around with like a camera in your pocket because you'd never need one because you always have one. So it's just, it's, it's totally. Crazy. And the quality on these cameras are actually probably better than if you had your little camera. Oh, way better. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Way better. Yeah, I'm yeah. using my phone right now as my webcam because Those were like better one megapixel. Yeah. Yeah. And I always say that too, because like even in, in solar right now we have solar. I mean, I don't know this. I do fully understand that I live in the Bay Area. So I take that into account too. But, you know, the Tesla roof is is something that people are actually installing here where it literally looks like a roof, but they're solar panels. But it doesn't look like, you know, in the past, we had those big sheets on top of the roof and um, you only could have five because like how many can you fit? Um, but now they have an entire roof structure that is a solar panel, but it actively looks like the roofs we're used to knowing. Like even just that advancement in whatever years, you know? Yeah. So I just, I like to say that because I think there's this general questioning of like, do what is the pace of innovation? Is this real? And I, I always like to reframe that. Like there's a lot of things that we didn't think were going to be real that are here now mm -hmm. for a lot of reasons. Also, you know, we've, the government has supported the growth of those industries because of the societal like progress that they, they deem it will make. And it's interesting. I say that too, because this week there was a white house and like OSTP paper that came out around like biomanufacturing and biotechnology. And they included this industry, like alternative foods as one of the three, like as a focus area, basically laying out the things that the government needs to do, like centers of excellence and supporting pilot facilities and intermediary production because of the, because of sustainability and food security. And so I think we're in this, we're in the, the blender right now where yeah. there's a lot going on where in, like industries are rapidly growing. The innovation is rapidly scaling the governments are deciding how much do we lean in and support these to get further because we're going to need them for, you know, 10, 20 years from now, we need to scale them now so that we have them when we need them. So it's, it's an exciting time. I, I think it's really interesting to look at something like this because I think what we'll, what we've seen over and over again is that in, innovation and technology advances so much faster than people's minds and opinions, right? It, it takes mm. a lot longer for people to change their mind and accept um, newer technologies and things like that, right? Like, you saw this this week when they were doing that um, all this legal stuff with TikTok and like people are just mm -hmm. having trouble keeping up with like the changes and they don't they don't trust it yet. I'm really curious um, because I'm sure you've had tons of conversations mm -hmm. about this about some of the apprehension surrounding this because I think a lot of people still think of cell cultured proteins uh, in the realm of science fiction and they and generally when you have something like that in the realm of science fiction, it doesn't go as planned. So I'm, I, I imagine yeah. that there's a lot of people that are a little bit apprehensive about this. And I just would like you to address that because I'm sure that it's, it's come yeah. up in some of your conversations. And I want to make sure that we are all, all of our listeners are, are clear on, you know, the mission in this uh, in, and that we are promoting the safety of this, you know, to go along with everything that you've been talking about, just to kind of clear the air of all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. No, the reason I'm I'm thinking it says a good question. I always get, get expect to get this question. Yeah. But well, yeah. I have that's... To, I, I'm trying to almost figure out because my natural reaction is, you know, I think it's been surprising that I've had less conversations about this than you'd think, hmm. and more conversations around like when you're going to scale, like what's it's like, hmm. can I try it? Da, 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 da. And I say that because not because I'm trying to dodge the question. I'm thinking like there's, there's some articles that kind of take that framing and call it lab grown. Although even when it said lab grown, to be honest, some of the articles are quite, quite favorable of like, you know, if we can do this, this could be revolutionary for our food system. Mm -hmm. But actually I think in general, if I was looking at the net net, I would say more often I met with curiosity. 
That's good. And like, That's especially good. from the, the industry, like, what could this mean? Could, if we're, if we're um, a value add processor, could this be an input? Like, what about mm-hmm. like seasonality? And, you know, when we can't get enough to run the, the lines, could we use this? Like, I get a lot more, um, more interest in terms of what, what's the business case around this industry? Like, when can we actually hit production volumes? Like, what does scale look like? And I, I don't even mean like physically, like where, what does it look like in terms of CapEx? I, I usually get, what does it, it look like in terms of what, how, how many years is it going to take you to get to X percentage of production? Mm, interesting. Um, I do think that, you know, our industry has always leaned in to the fact that we understand there is a need for folks to understand what they're eating. And so we're not trying to call this tuna, for example, or bluefin tuna. We've always said sell cultured as a qualifier and submitted, you know, the, the, the FDA done a request for information on labeling, man, it feels forever ago, but it might've been two, two years back. And our trade association submitted a, a, a joint response with NFI around like here are labeling principles. We agree that should be employed. And so in some ways, I also think the questions we more often get on plant-based are more about the labeling. Many folks are getting more to the place of, you know, people have different choices and preferences. It's clear that some folks want to eat this. That's okay, as long as it's very clearly labeled. Mm -hmm. And I think because we've also leaned in very similarly on the cell cultured side to say, we agree, folks should know that this is produced another way and should understand what that process is. We put it on our website we worked really hard to figure out how do you put it in the website? That's in a way that's true, but all like very true to the nature of the process, but simple enough. You can understand it in a pictogram. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that in some ways it's that has that hard work and like actually just having conversations earlier in the industry's growth and later when you're trying to actually bring it to market has worked really in our favor, especially in terms of thinking about consumer adoption and folks really like doing the education and the hard work from the beginning and not just waiting till the end. Yeah. That makes, that makes sense. Oh, sorry, Sean. No, no, go Uh, ahead. Yeah. I would think my hesitation, and I think you answered this already really would be that it's curiosity. It would, it would probably be, you know, is it safe? I want to learn more about the process and can I try it? Right. And you kind of talked about all of those all of those things. And I think going through all the legalities to make sure it say these entities have approved it, it is safe. Not only have we answered all your questions, but now we're looking at how we can expand this to a more like producing it at a much quicker rate, finding new ways of doing it and making this um, more easily accessible, affordable, all those things. And I think that's also why the safety, you know, there's been this like there's we always get this question. Um, sometimes I think it's leading you know, aren't you frustrated the FDA is taking so long or da, 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 or isn't it? And we're like, we don't, well, to be honest, we don't really feel that way. I mean, one, it ha- in the grand scheme of this being a new food, I don't think it has taken that long. Mm-hmm. The FDA has, we, we do want it to be rigorous and be seen as rigorous because the yeah. last thing you want is for folks to not think it was, and then there won't be any adoption. There will just be distrust from the, from the beginning. And I think this is something, maybe I'm going on a ledge, but in some ways, I think the aquaculture industry from from a while ago has been struggling with the if the, once there's a perception about something, it's really hard to change it. And so we're trying to say, how do we just make sure that folks understand and think it's safe from from the outset? And I think the FDA realizes that responsibility as well. There's always a you know a dynamic tension between the fact that there is a world of trade secrets and food. There is a world of IP and technology and innovation. And how do you respect those things while also 
putting out public safety information so, so folks could, if you so wanted, look through the determination of why it was safe. And so the FDA has been very clear about that very early on of we want to work with you. We're not trying, we understand confidentiality, we understand trade secrets, but we do want to figure out a way. We want, we want these, these um, notices to be public and for folks to be able to look through them to see what was the backing of, of, of the safety determination. And so that's something that the industry has been working with the FDA on to do because of this exact thing as well. Not having this um, perception that that it's intentionally hidden. So I think I, we briefly talked about this um, a little bit in one of your answers to one of the questions, talking about like seasonality and things like that. But how do you see cell cultured and plant based seafood alternatives benefiting the seafood industry and like seafood professionals? Because I think that. Some people in the seafood industry might say, like, how is this going to impact me? But I, I think that there is actually a, some benefits that could help the seafood industry. Yeah. Oh, my God. This is such a fun question. I've said fun so many times on this, but I'll stick in theme with my Friday. We're allowed to have fun. Thank you. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think the first is because this is something. So going to like Finless's theory of change or our mission, we we see this as like many tools in the toolbox. Um, I was on the... Uh, Actually, there were some panels on this at South by in general that were like, we are not in a world of there's one silver bullet to to resolving the the like planetary challenges right now. We're going to need a lot of solutions. We need diversification. It's kind of like you know when even if you're looking at your your 401k portfolio, you're like diversify. The strongest strategy is diversification. The reason I say that is because we definitely look at this and versus like we are an and versus or theory of change. We see a world where there is continued wild capture production. Aquaculture is going to scale up. We also have cell cultured and plant for not only consumer preferences, but also for the benefits they can provide in terms of food security and sustainability and et cetera. The reason I say that is because I think as part of your question is this perception of how are you, how are you seeing yourself in our landscape, right? Are you part of our landscape? Are you against our landscape? Are you a separate landscape? And I think we look at ourselves as like, um, adjacent to, if you will, right, but part of the same like ecosystem of al- of alternatives um, and, and like alternative proteins. To answer your question, of, like how can this benefit the industry? It's it's in a lot of ways, and I think we're actually seeing that a bit with our plant based as well. In surprising ways, when we're learning that folks are really uh, excited about the extended shelf life, right, of a use case of a poke bowl or something that may have not might may not have so many turns per week. You want to have it on your menu, but it's a pretty high product to then have to have food food waste, right, and loss. So the shelf life has been something that folks are excited about. I think they're also excited about the availability of being able to, you know, without seasonality, be able to procure and that there aren't the price fluctuations throughout seasonality. The price is the price. Um, I also think that it's pretty, you know, the um, the food waste kind of piece also applies in terms of like decomp or in terms of like at the beginning of the supply chain as well, not just at the operator level. And so I think that's something we also see with both plant and cell, this idea of you can produce it where, wherever, like in cell and plant, you could put a facility in Kansas and produce it. So it can be local, it can be more fresh, it can be done without seasonality, it can support local economies, it has less transit miles, you could have less decomposition, you could have less food waste because you're producing exactly what's needed. For example, you're producing the sashimi piece 
you're not producing the entire animal. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of these things have business benefits. I think this is a really important question, especially for this podcast with our audience, because I think it's important to address that some people may look at this type of technology, you know, producers of seafood. I don't want people to think of this technology as a threat to their product and 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 their livelihood, right? I think it's important to address that this is something it's it's a, a supplemental thing in the entire food system, right? Is that Yeah, yeah, that, I mean it goes back to the and versus or yes. and like the complementarity. I think the way we look at it is it, it, and I think there was just some comments about this at the Boston Seafood Show. We have a we have like just factually we have we see where the production of wild capture is compared to where the rising demand is, right? I'm like using my hands, no one can see them, but mm -hmm. demand is higher than, than wild capture supply or it's projected to continue increasing and supply is projected to continue leveling off, especially in the face of increasing challenges like you know the, the, the ocean temperature shifts, et cetera. Aquaculture is a really important innovation. We always say that we support aquaculture. I'm on panelists, panels with you know folks in the aquaculture industry. At the same time, there there are definitely like in it, aquaculture in itself is, is is in its own scale of innovation, similar maybe further than we are. So there may be like a newer iPhone, but they're definitely still in cycles of innovation. And aquaculture isn't right like right now there there aren't all species produced at scale in aquaculture. For example, tuna. It's been very difficult to effectively scale an aquaculture system closed cycle, not ranching for, for bluefin tuna. And so I think we look at this world where we have limitations on supply, we have increasing demand, whether that's because of, you know, it's, it's not, it's all, it's increasing population, it's increasing uh, middle income. So folks are pur purchasing and procuring more protein than they were in the past. It's changing consumer preferences. They demand more protein. So you see this delta growing. And it's looking at how do we have solutions to meet this delta. Aquaculture is certainly one in the seafood space, but again, going to the limitations specifically, bluefin right now it doesn't address that. Mm -hmm. So we look at cell culture as being able to address some of those challenges, and also in terms of like food security, localized production, like transit miles, and going to a world where we have to really, you know, like the IPCC report was not great, right? Um, so I think we look at this in a composite and say. We all can play in this space together and figure out how to solve these these larger challenges. And plant-based, I think in some ways, it fits in that story. And it also just fits into a story of consumer choice and consumer, you know, like diversification. Um, I think what we've seen is that the amount of meat eaters who eat plant-based is there. The, the proportion of vegetarian vegans is still small. So I think what we're seeing is that folks are really just diversifying. They're not saying I'm giving up the cow. They're saying like, I'm going to Wednesday, I'm going to try and do a climatarian choice and have a, have a, have a plant-based burger. Yeah, so well, if their doctor says you, false, you should eat less red meat, they want to find something that still tastes yeah, like red exactly. meat, right? <laughs> and has less cl cholesterol and saturated fat and, and, and yeah. sodium. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that there's this binary thing the media sometimes is saying like, oh no, everyone's becoming a vegetarian and the, the numbers are just not showing that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I, we're getting a little bit close to time, but I, I have a couple questions that things that I've just been thinking about throughout this. Um, and one of them is- <laughs> Go for it, Sean. Um, <laughs> One of them is the um, production and, and the process for these comparability, right? Like we, we talk about addressing sustainability initiatives with things like this and stuff like that. When we're looking at the the production of this, I mean, energy usage, the, you know, carbon footprint time compared to the production of fresh seafood, cost of production, all that kind of stuff. How does it compare? I'm just curious. Yeah. Um Kind of like Sean, if looking I could, at both sides. I, I, if I could commission a study, it'd be on the... <laughs> um, <laughs> 
we are working. So there have been studies done on this, particularly for meat and like it's so those those exist now. They're older. Some would argue, or they need newer versions, or folks are working on newer versions. But there's a work on LCAs, for example, comparing like what it would be for cell culture and what it is conventional for conventional beef production. The challenge is, so we're working on that for our own cell cultured production in terms of really understanding. To be to be really honest, we're at R and D moving into pilot, moving into commercial, and so it's hard to put out an LCA because we're just changes are happening too quickly. And we're, we're scoping out build out. And so we're building all of these sustainability factors into the building. So in some ways, we're lucky to be able to build that into the design of our production facility. We already have a sustainability lead. He's been on staff for a year, which is really great for a company our size to already have someone whose sole job is working at building that in. Mm-hmm. The challenge is those statistics don't per se even exist for the wild capture seafood industry. Mm-hmm. And particularly, it's challenging because there's so much diversity in the wild capture seafood industry versus what there would be for like raising a cow. So, you know, you have purse staining, you have long lining, you have, you know, et cetera. And it depends on how, where you're fishing. And there's so many variables. So we've kind of been, we've heard that some folks are looking at this more and trying to maybe think of some studies, but it's something that we get asked a lot. And we ourselves are trying to figure out and ask ourselves this a lot because there, even if, even if when, when we, like we have timelines for LCAs, but even when we have those, we'll have nothing to compare it to. Right. So it's just, it's an interesting, and if you, know, you were to do a study on that, right. By the time that paper is, is peer reviewed and, and published, how much has the technology advanced? And it, it's totally. just completely different at that point. Right. That's the challenge, but we, that's why we just bake it in and we benchmark, you know, we already, you know, I've, you and global Com- compacts SBTIs, like we attended last year in New York climate week. Like we just try our best to bake this into the beginning, which in some ways is gives us an upper hand as a company because we're able to, it's always easy to bake something in at the beginning and then try and retrofit at the end. Mm-hmm. Right. So we're trying to just bake all this in now. Um, but it's a good question. It's one that we, we think of a lot too, because that's why we always emphasize to folks, seafood is distinct from from beef and poultry. So when folks are like, well, your industry, da, 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 we always like, we need to talk about seafood distinctly as well, because we are, we are in some ways, seafood is the last industry where we still like traditionally hunt mm-hmm. in a way that on beef and poultry, it's, it's um, all domestic animal agriculture. Right. So looking into the future a little bit, um, I, I, I'm going to ask you, you know, the question that we ask all of our guests, especially with the seafood innovations episodes is kind of what is on the horizon, what's coming up. And I think we know there's going to be, you know, this ongoing work with the FDA to kind of make sure that they get all the, all those ducks in a row and that everything makes sense and that we're taking a comprehensive approach to the safety and, and legalities of this and everything. But I'm curious if a little more than just kind of that processing kind of thing, what is the kind of dream for just beyond scalability, but like for the use of this technology or, or for Finless Foods? In itself, I mean, are you going to be able to grow cell cultured bait for wild caught fisheries that would be cheaper than you know going and, and catching a bunch of fish that you can then use as bait? Like, I, I'm curious, kind of what ideas you you have all had for the future? Yeah, well, I have two minutes to answer the largest question of the day. <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> I mean the future. I mean the future for Finless. I think also speaks to the future of the industry. I mean, I always. vote for the future of Finless first and foremost, but at the same time, to me, it's really about the industry. And that's why we're so excited to be like building it together and rising tide lifts all boats. I think you, you touched on the first thing for the future. Yes. I I think you will see a regulatory approval for a cell cultured seafood product. Mm -hmm. 
Um, it will be the shorter, not longer term. And it will be not only in the US, but like there are companies in Singapore and Asia actively working on this. So you'll see the approvals. I think you'll see companies starting to build scale up facilities. And hopefully based on this OSTP thing, you'll see government dollars supporting supporting some of this. You are already seeing that in Singapore. Right. And so I always say American competitiveness is also important. Like this industry is moving forward globally. So it's really, where are we in that? Mm -hmm. So I think you'll continue to see the build out of these facility, like production facilities that help scale so that folks can actually find these products. I think the third um, is really like, what will be the species? Like you're saying, like at which place will we see the species? I think at first you'll be seeing species that are the most commonly consumed that, you know, you can only fight so many consumer adoption hurdles right, yeah, at exactly. one time. And I think you'll see those that make sense from a price point. This industry isn't going to, we're, we are rapidly dropping costs. Like you'll see stories of the first burger was how many thousands of dollars. And now it's how many, you know, it's like whatever dollars, you know, it's rapidly decreasing at the same time, it's not the price of a bait fish. And I don't know that it would make sense to be at the beginning. So I think it will continue to continue to see it be the finished products that folks will eat, mm -hmm. not the earlier in the supply chain. If this industry scales and becomes the thing of, you know, a main thing of the future, who knows? Because the, the, the innovation is pretty agnostic. It's really just where does it make sense from a price and scale point right yeah, now? Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Two more questions that we always ask everyone, uh, or mm. one question that we ask everyone and one that I'm starting to implement. <laughs> okay, um, I'll be the first. <laughs> yeah, uh, you be the second. What, okay. do, what do you need to achieve your goals? Like, what is it, if, if we're looking at calling out to all, all of our listeners, supporters, anyone who is interested in what your product is, to achieve your immediate and long-term goals at Finless Foods, what, it, what is it that you need? resource -wise. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the industry needs support scaling. The, the tech, the, the expertise is there. The teams are great. The, the passion is there. Um, it's, we're getting to a point where you need to be able to scale production and doing so also requires a broader, like diversity of financial mechanisms outside of just solely venture. And so I think it's really, you know, I'm a policy person at heart, so I'm always going to say something that relates to mm -hmm. what do we need as policy, but I think we really do need to see policy figure out how it can support scaling, especially again, making sure that we're we're prioritizing American competitiveness. Um, for global listeners, same for your, for maybe global countries, but some global countries are doing a great job really paving the way. So I, I would generally say that. Great. So if any of our listeners want to get involved with this type of product, this process for Orphanless Foods specifically, or even get in contact with yourself, how can they get involved and what's the best way for them to get in contact with you? Yeah, so many ways. We have social, like it's like everyone these days. So, you know, folks can follow us on Instagram. You know, it's, we're definitely on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn. So you can connect with Finless Foods. We have a, a company page. I have a personal page. You can also email me at shannon at finlessfoods.com. Luckily, it's easy to remember. My last name is not in that. Um, <laughs> We're agnostic on the ways in which you reach out to us, but we're always happy to chat, even if it's just curiosity, just like if you have questions and I, I sometimes think it's better just talk to talk through them with someone than, than kind of surmise like, oh, how do you know, what, what do I think the answer to this question is? Yeah, for sure. Well, Justin, Maddie, do you have anything else? I mean, I'm no, sure you, you do. <laughs> can we, can we, do you have anything else within no, a reasonable time Do I have anything that can fit in the five minutes? No, probably not. <laughs> Maybe. Me neither. <laughs> No. Okay. Um, I am a fast talker. You can try me. That's true. You, you, you did. You got you pumped a lot of information into these 50 minutes or so. Yes. 
we got through a lot. Shannon, is there anything else that you want to get out there while you have the platform? I mean, I really just appreciate you giving me a platform. I mean, I just gratitude, but I think in, in seriousness, I say gratitude because I know that this is a new innovation. And I think with innovation, it's, you know, there's so much nuance, it's technological, it's consumer adoption. And I think folks are kind of sitting and wondering and maybe don't have an access point to learn more besides the maybe, you know, what you can read in an article. So I think it's just to say, I understand that there's all those, those questions around innovation. And so if you have them reach out, learn more, um, and, and thank you for giving me a platform to at least start that conversation, because I think information is the first step to, to like power as corny as that may sound. No, of course. Okay. Well with that, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us and coming on. And we really appreciate everything that you guys are doing. And, uh, we appreciate that you took the time to come talk to us today. Yeah, no, thank you guys. It was fun. This was truly, truly a fun thing to do on a Friday. So thank you all. And, um, I hope we're in touch. Folks, that was our conversation with Shannon from Finless Foods. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned something and I hope you're feeling good about plant-based and cell-based tuna. Yeah, I thought that was super interesting. Really cool conversation. Uh, remember, if you enjoy this podcast and you want to get every new episode automatically downloaded to your device, all you have to do is hit that subscribe button on whichever podcast platform you listen on. We are on Twitter at AquademiaPod. If you want to contact the podcast for any reason, you can fill out the online form located at globalseafood.org slash podcast. That's right. Remember to leave us a rating and review wherever you listen. We really appreciate everybody that's already done that and it really helps us out a lot. And if you like what we do and you want to be more involved with some of the work that we do at the Global Seafood Alliance, you may want to consider becoming a member. All of the information about our membership program at GSA can be found at globalseafood.org slash membership. Thank you so much for listening and we will talk to you next time. Ciao. Bye.